someone call a little bit of an audible? It feels really weird standing up there, <laughs> like above, shouting down, like kind of weird. I'm also probably going to try to rewrite the sermon on the fly, so you had a 45-minuter that got shortened to a three-pointer that's probably going to get shortened to a 12-minuter this morning, but we're with family, so that's okay, right? <clears throat> All right, let's give it a go. Um, Y'all have been with us long enough now uh, to know that we read our Bibles uh, a little bit differently than most people. Um, we see Jesus everywhere in our Bibles. Um, and if you cheated and looked ahead in your worship order, uh, you probably were thinking, 1 Kings 18, what the heck? What kind of Christmas sermon is from 1 Kings 18? Uh, you might have thought, okay, so arts, scripture reading, uh, that makes a little sense. Um, but man, 1 Kings 18, I'm, I'm not really sure how that fits in. And so I kind of want to give you a brief overview of that. That was a majority uh, of the sermon. Uh, but want to give you a brief overview to try to connect some dots for us, and then we'll kind of dive in a little bit more. So what we've got happening um, in 1 Kings is we've got Elijah, the prophet of the Most High God. Uh, he's coming before Israel, he's calling them to repentance, um, and he's calling down fire from heaven. And fast forward to Luke's uh, chapter 1 scripture reading, uh, you've got his father, Zechari John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, saying a prophecy where he says that his son, who's to be named John, uh, will go before the Lord like the dawn goes before the sunrise. And we have Jesus calling John the Baptist Elijah. Uh, we've got the angel saying that this child that will be born, John the Baptist, is uh, will go with the spirit and power of Elijah. And so if you hold them up together, you've got Elijah as the prophet of the Most High God going before the way, uh, before the Lord to prepare his ways to call his people to repentance. And then you've got Eli or John the Baptist. See, I'm even confused right now. You've got John the Baptist uh, going before the Lord's people, prophet of the Most High God, uh, to prepare the ways for the Lord. And so we'll see hopefully how those two things uh, come together in our sermon today. You know that when we read the Old Testament, we see um, a lot of unity. Uh, some people will highlight the differences between the Old and New Testament. We try to see and highlight the unity. Uh, so we see a great deal of uh, emphasis on Israel, and we see our story written in the story of Israel. We see the church being foreshadowed. And then when we fast forward to our time, um, we see that we probably fall into the same things that they fall into. It just doesn't look like it did 4,000 years ago. Uh, so we see a great deal of unity there. Um, and then again, we see Jesus everywhere. And my hope for us all this morning is that as we kind of go back and forth uh, between the ages, um, if you don't come away with anything else, uh, you will come away with a vision of Jesus who has come um, on this day that we're celebrating today uh, to save his people from their sins. And so that's my hope for us. Um, let's go ahead and dive in. Um, if that was sort of a 30,000 foot uh, snowstorm for you. Um, I'll shorten it to the three points that I was going to give you. Everyone likes three points. Um, I want us to see that idolatry has always been and will always be a temptation for God's people. Uh, then I want us to see uh, that God is for his people, even when his people are against him. 
And then I want us to see that God does the impossible to bring his people to repentance and to praise his name. Uh, so those are the three things we're going to look at um, from 1 Kings chapter 18. Uh, and so if you would, to honor the reading of God's word, I would ask you to stand. Um, we'll be in 1 Kings 18. If you don't have your Bibles, uh, it's there for you in the worship order. Um, but we will start uh, in verse 21. And we will go all the way down to verse 39. So it's a little bit longer of a scripture reading, um, but there's some good stuff in there. All right, hear God's word. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, He is God. And all the people answered, It is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many. And call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given to them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal and from morning until noon, saying, O oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the, Lord, um, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two says of seed. And he put the wood in order. And he cut the bull in pieces and laid it out on the wood. And he said, Fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, Do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell 
and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. The Word of the Lord. May God bless the reading and the hearing and the preaching of His Word and all the church said, Amen. Amen. Please be seated. All right, so let's jump right in. We will look at verse 21, and that kind of sets the stage for us a little bit. I'm going to go ahead, it's been a little bit, so I'm going to go ahead and read it again to you uh, to kind of set the stage. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him, but if Baal, then follow Him. So what you've got going on here is you've got cultural Judaism at its best. Um, Just like we see cultural Christianity today where people will profess Jesus, they profess that he is their savior, but then cultural idolatries get mixed into worship, they get mixed into our lives, they get mixed into the way we live. That's what's going on back there in 1 Kings 18. You've got God's people. You've got Israel saying, yes, Yahweh delivered us from Egypt. Yes, he's our savior. Yes, he's our master. But then you've got prophets coming along and mixing the cultural idolatries and saying, well, yes, God saved you. Yes, worship Yahweh. But when the rubber meets the road, let me tell you where you can really find life. When the rubber meets the road, Baal has what you need. He's going to provide for fertility. He's going to provide um, for your crops. He's going to provide your day-to-day needs. Yes, Yahweh saved you, but here's also what you can get if you want kind of the fullness that this life has to offer. So that's what's going on there in 1 Kings 18. And then in comes Elijah. And he says, this is not okay. He's speaking from the Lord and he's saying, cultural Judaism is not okay. Um, You cannot mix worship with Baal and Yahweh. Either pick Baal, if you think that's where life is, pick him. Otherwise, pick Yahweh because he's the God who truly has the life. Um, He's your savior and he provides for you where the rubber meets the road. And so you've got there in 1 Kings 18, um, idolatry being the same temptation for them. Fast forward, you've got that same temptation for idolatry for us as God's people. Um, It's not just in 1 Kings 18. It's not just now. Uh, You actually see it everywhere in between. Uh, We've heard Isaiah. uh, That's famous scripture. Um, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Uh, You hear Jesus say to God's people again that you can't serve both God and money. Uh, You hear James say things like friendship with the world is enmity toward God. And we have to keep in mind, and this is so important for us, um, that they aren't talking to the world out there whenever they say these things. Elijah is not talking uh, to anybody but God's people. Jesus was talking to God's people. James was talking to God's people. The same cultural idolatries that they had, we have. So these words are written for professing believers, not just for the world out there. We have got to constantly guard our hearts. We have got to constantly guard our minds um, if we think that the cultural idolatries don't slip in or that we're not prone to follow those um, then I think that there's an extreme arrogance we have to be really careful to think that we are different from them and from the people that have gone before us 
So that's kind of the first thing for us is that idolatry has and always will be a, tempt a temptation for God's people. And I think um, just to kind of put some realities on it, I know some of you work throughout the week, um, generic businessmen even. Um, no, I don't know generic businessmen in here. Okay. <clears throat> Sorry. <laughs> um, so what you see, and, and we experience this at work, is um, you've got professing Christians who will say, yes, I love Jesus. Yes, I follow Jesus. Um, but whenever it comes right down to it, um, sometimes the thing that guides their decision making or guides the way that they treat people um, are the profit margins or the bottom line or the fact that we're a business. And so you actually see professing Christians doing the same thing that the Israelites were doing way back then. They say, yes, Jesus is my savior, but the God of capitalism is really the one who will give us what we need in our business. We can't bring all that religious stuff in here uh, to the way that we live our lives in the workplace. And Elijah would say to Israelites the same thing that I would say to my brothers and sisters that I work with is God has to subsume everything in not only in the spiritual realm, but also in our workplace as well. And so you've got to kind of guard against that. And we see it seeping into the church. Um, we see the church sort of buying into the cultural idolatries of the day. And so those are things that we've got to constantly be aware of and we've got to constantly see creeping up in our own minds and creeping up into our own hearts. What I don't want us to, to happen um, is for us to say, um, okay, that means I'm not saved or that means God doesn't love me because what you've got here in 1 Kings is you've got God coming down, sending a prophet and saying, no, these people, yes, they're against me, but I am for them. And that's the second thing that I want us to look at is even when God's people are against him, he is for them. And you see that by him sending Elijah. Right? If, if he hadn't, if he had said, no, I'm going to wipe my hands of these folks, he could have wiped them out just like he did the false prophets. You've got the false prophets at the end of our story. We didn't read it. Um, but once this story is all said and done, once this showdown's over, um, <clears throat> Elijah goes in and slaughters all those folks. And so you've got God going up against the false prophets who say they're for him. But at the same time, you've got God being for his people, even whenever they're rebelling against him. So that's the other thing I want us to look at today. <clears throat> Another thing that um, kind of I identified with as I was um, preparing for this is you, you have Elijah going up against um, really 850 prophets. Um, it says 450 here, but if you go up a few verses, it says there are 400 prophets of Asheroth and 450 prophets of Baal. And you've got Elijah going against all of them and saying, yeah, I'm right and they're wrong. He had to feel <laughs> kind of crazy, right? I mean, you've got 850 prophets with tons and tons of Israelites following them and saying, yeah, you know, Yahweh and yeah, Baal. Yeah, Yahweh. Well, yeah, Baal. And Elijah's coming down and he's saying, no, this is wrong. You are buying into the cultural's idols. Repent. Follow the Lord. Um, and as I was reading this, I was like, golly, that's kind of scary. He's standing, I mean, and maybe y'all feel this. I mean, look, look, 
<laughs> like, it's not like we have um, 10,000 people, five services, you know, Christmas Eve and Christmas Eve Eve so that we can cancel service on Christmas. Like, this is us. This is our family. Um, and maybe you can identify with feeling a little bit crazy whenever you look out and you say, man, are you sure they don't all have it right? Are you sure they're not the ones that, or maybe are we the crazy ones? Um, I think that's a good check. I think that's a good check for us. Um, but you see it happening throughout, uh, throughout the story of God's people. You've got prophets rise up and a small remnant of people rise up and say, no, we are going to pursue God. We are going to pursue him his way. We're going to do our darndest not to bring in the cultural idols all around us. Um, as I was studying for this, I came across a quote uh, from a shepherd in the 16th century. Um, this will help you. Maybe it will encourage you that we're not the only crazy ones. Um, he said that false teaching is easily identified by the fact that it is willingly received by all and it is to everyone's liking. <laughs> That's one. You've got another shepherd 50 years ago. So fast forward about, oh, I don't know, 350 years. He says um, that we have somehow gotten a hold of the idea that error is only that which is outrageously wrong. And we do not seem to understand that the most dangerous person of all is the one who does not emphasize the right things. And these were two men kind of standing out on their own, shouting out against the cultural idols of their day, saying these things that we kind of say to you every week. Um, it hasn't changed since Elijah's day, hasn't changed since their day, and it hasn't changed in our day. If you think that this quote was read 50 years ago, and then you follow, I mean, those of you that were alive then, you can see what's happened to the church just in the last 50 years. I mean, if that was the state of the church 50 years ago, what is the state of the church now? Um, I think for us, you know, we kind of get caught up, or maybe y'all don't, but I get caught up in the parade of seeing all these huge events. Uh, there's tons of programs out there. There's uh, tons of people gathering around, and um, from the outside, it looks like, man, maybe God's in that. Uh, there's a flurry of activity there. Um, maybe God's blessed that, and, and maybe is he disciplining us? Is he mad at us? Is he punishing us? Um, and I, I think Elijah may have felt similar. I mean, is no one going to listen to me? Um, there's just a few people listening. Um, but I think it's important for us to remember that God is for us. He's for us, um, but he's also for our brothers and sisters out there. Um, there are people in the churches that have bought into the cultural idolatries just like they did in Israel. But what do you have God doing? You've got him loving them and being gentle with them and pursuing them. He loves our brothers and sisters at those places, um, and he loves us. Um, so I, don't th I think it would be wrong for us to look at them and, and pound our fist and, and be angry with them. Um, you've got God being angry at the false teachers. He definitely makes a distinction between his prophets and his people. Um, but you see how much he loves Israel and how much he loves his church, so much so that he's willing to go to extraordinary measures, do impossible things um, to save his people, even though they're against him and even though they've bought into the cultural idolatries of the day. And that's really our third point is um, God does the impossible for his people because they couldn't do it for themselves. 
He does the impossible for his people to bring them to repentance. And that's really what you see him doing uh, throughout. If you look there, I mean, we're not going to read all over it, but um, really that whole showdown is God manifesting his glory among these people. Um, you've got Elijah coming up to the false prophets and he lays down a challenge. Um, he says, you worship your God your way. Uh, I will worship Yahweh his way and we'll see where the fire comes from. We'll see um, who reveals who should be worshipped. And then you see, as you see the false prophets accept his challenge. They say, all right, um, we've got people on our side. We've got numbers on our side. We accept your challenge. Um, and then they kind of go through the formalities of their worship. Um, it's very extravagant. Uh, they cry out to their God. They make loud noises. Um, loud noises. No. I don't know what that's from even. I think Kyle probably knows. Um, I'm sorry, I got derailed. Um, they make loud noises. They pr pray extravagant prayers. Um, and then you've got kind of the jerk, Elijah, right? I mean, Ahab in verse 17 calls him the troubler of Israel because he would not let God's people worship the cultural idols of the day. If Elijah were alive today, he would be called probably a judgmental jerk uh, if he were constantly telling people, no, you cannot worship the cultural idols of the day. And here he is kind of acting like a jerk in 1 Kings 18 and he starts mocking the false prophets. He says, get louder. Make a bigger scene. Maybe your God is asleep. Maybe he's using the toilet. And in the Hebrew, it's actually kind of gross, you know, but in English, maybe he's relieving himself. We kind of cleaned it up a little bit, uh, but he starts making fun of them. And so what do they do? They up it. They, they get louder. They start offering their own bodies. They start saying crazier prayers, cutting themselves, frenzy of activities, getting everyone riled up. And what happens? Nothing. Nothing happens. Their God does not answer them. It may have looked like a frenzy of activity. They may have had numbers on their side. But God does not respond to the false prophets. And so you see then Elijah come up, and now it's his turn. He's laid out the challenge. You worship your God your way. I'll worship Yahweh his way, um, and we'll see who answers. And if you look there in verse 30, Elijah even has a call to worship. Look at that. Um, it's like we've made this stuff up. Uh, in verse 30, in the call to worship, he says to the people, come near. Draw near to me. And what do you see the people doing? Okay, God didn't answer them. I'm going to draw near. What is Elijah about to say? What is he about to do? No elaborate song or dance. There's no prayer in foreign tongues. He calmly begins to rebuild the altar. And he reminds God's people of who they are. He reminds them of what God has done for them. And then he does something that uh, really looks foolish. Um, God is supposed to rain down fire, right? And then what does Elijah do? He starts pouring water all over the place. <laughs> he wants to make sure that everybody knows this is God's action. I have not done this. It's not my prayers that I'm offering. It's not the time of day that I'm offering these prayers. It's not the way that any of this is going down. God alone is acting. And so he covers the place with water and he just offers a very simple prayer. He says uh, there in verse 36, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. 
Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. And then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Look at the simplicity of what's just happened. The false prophets try to rile everybody up, but Elisha lays down barriers for God that would have apparently limited God's ability to act. He had boring worship. He didn't try hard enough or sing loud enough or engage the people in worship enough. But because God is for His people, He did the impossible to bring His people to repentance. He rained down fire from heaven. And it's, if you, you might be careful, you'll skip over a little bit. He changed their hearts. He turned their hearts back to Him. They didn't turn their hearts to Him. He rained down fire and He turned their hearts back to Him. His people fell on their face and they repented of their cultural idolatries. We are in the same boat. We are surrounded by false teachers who encourage cultural idolatry among God's people. But I want to tell you, he, he hasn't abandoned us and He hasn't abandoned them. That's what we're celebrating today. He didn't abandon us. He seemed silent for 400 years, but then He rained down fire from heaven. The light of the world took on flesh and dwelt among God's people to save them from their sins. It looked crazy to the world, didn't it? I mean, think about what's happening. What do, where do you expect a king to be born? A huge palace, right? What about the Lord of Lords? Surely he's got a silver spoon in his mouth. He's a great high priest. Surely he's going to be born in a sanctuary with thousands upon thousands. He wasn't. He was all of those things, but He didn't come in a way that anybody would expect. There were so many barriers in the way for God's people. He was the true fire from heaven. He was the true offering of oblation. You heard it in the Scripture reading. He was the sunrise from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. There are so many of us, even in this room, where Christmas is a dark time. We've lost people that we love really close to the holidays. Maybe this is the first holiday going to the person that you've lost throughout the year. I know I have friends and brothers that have lost fathers, lost children this year. This is their first Christmas without them. And it's dark. Dark Christmas. True fire from heaven came. He bring light and darkness. He's the only thing to give light. There's nothing that the culture has to offer. touch the darkness. And those of you that have felt it know it. Those of you that have tried to cover the darkness, tried to find light in the darkness. Anything our culture has to offer, know that it's so fleeting. 
but the light of the world is not. And he offers light on this Christmas day from 1 Kings 18, from Luke 1, hopefully right now. And he's going to come again and he's going to light up the world and that darkness will be no more. And so people can look at what we're doing and they can say, man, I don't know, they're pretty poor. They're pretty simple. They're pretty ancient. But we're in good company. Our Savior was born into these circumstances. He was born into circumstances that our culture would frown upon. He was an illegal alien. Born to two refugees fleeing to keep their baby safe. And he's the king of the world. So as we continue and we go through worship and we think about who he is and what he's done for us, I pray that Christ would be your light, that Christ would be your all, and that you would fall on your face like the people in 1 Kings 18, like doubting, wavering Thomas, and say, my Lord, my God. We would worship the true fire. Let's pray together.